A good day to you all, my name is Lucas and my girlfriend said no rambling. So here's an additional introduction to the introduction because I didn't mention that this episode is a combination of speaking of my father's work and how that ties into my ayahuasca experience. You'll hear more about my father's work in my additional introduction. Ah. Okay. I'm recording, Jake. I'm recording. No rambling. No rambling. Okay, we're starting. This episode is me and my dad. We speak about his work, which is about a Gnostic mystical text. It's very cool stuff. And my ayahuasca experience. What? Back to my channel. I'm Lucas. This has to be the start of the video. I'm going to keep it in, Jules. You made it this way. Okay. Okay. This is going to be all inside of the... Welcome back to the channel. My name is Lucas. And today I'm speaking again with my father. We'll be discussing his dissertation, the work on the Gospel of Philip, which is a Gnostic mystical text. And I wanted to add in this introduction that we'll also be speaking about my ayahuasca experience and how that connects with this text. And I think it connects in a very interesting way. So I hope you guys will enjoy this episode. If you do, please do leave a like because it does help the channel a lot. And I'll see you for the next one. Why do I say that? I'm happy today to be joined again by my father. Today we'll be speaking a bit about his work, uh, that which he got promoted on in 2005, 2007, the birth year of your uh, youngest child, Uh though you were plenty busy at that time, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. And uh, we're just going to let my dad introduce this work before we dive into it. And why don't you also explain how it was relevant for the two of us? Yep. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, Well, the strange thing was I did this dissertation in uh, 2007 on the Gospel of Philip. And you think you're doing something rather um, on the side, a Gnostic Christian gospel uh, far away from the things that you do at home. And then all of a sudden your son decides that he wants to go on an inner spiritual journey. That was you. And um, that was that was strange for us because in, in a spiritual journey, I mean, what are you planning to do? And the answer was, well, I'm planning to do drugs. And as a parent, then, of course, you get rather scared. Um, and you plan to do a very specific type uh, of drugs, ayahuasca. And I started to read on, uh, read uh, about it and and learn about the program that the University of Maastricht here in the south of the Netherlands was doing on it for a while and that it has a lot more to recommend than what you think as a parent so uh, so it was difficult and and maybe I should also say that your idea was to get it as your birthday present because you wanted a birthday present for your 18th you remember that I do yeah although was it 19 I think it was the 19th yeah 19th yeah but well, uh <laughs> let's 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 keep it the way that i remember it okay like that it was for your 18th because that's sort of the moment that you are independent and can take you make your sure. own decisions let's do it like <laughs> so that. perhaps it's a better story in my mind it's better symbolically yeah, sure. <laughs> okay yeah anyway the, the strange thing uh I, I think you have detailed a lot of your experience in a different video yeah, but I think it's uh, useful to highlight a bit from your perspective, given that that, that isn't there in that okay. video. Okay. So, so you spoke about Maastricht. So you found a, a study, an ongoing study from the University of Maastricht uh, where people did ayahuasca. And yes. You, you tried to get um, me into that. And I don't think the study is ongoing anymore. No, uh, at the time. At least... Uh, both psilocybin and ayahuasca were being studied for beneficial effects, especially for people who are cancer patients. You, you, you cannot ruin cancer patients that much if they are terminal. So um, they sort of got permission to do that. And they found that these many of these people were actually helped by the experience. Um, what I found extremely interesting was the fact that they... Um, it's not the drugs that helps them. It's the mystical experience that helps them. Yeah, which is very important distinction because we seem to mistake the substance for the experience a lot these days. So when people have very positive experience 
experiences with psychedelics, they often think that psychedelics are the answer where <laughs> you probably need a bit more than just uh, the experience and the substance. But we'll get into that later on. Please continue. Yeah. Well, and especially as parents, um, you are, of course, afraid that the substance given to an 18 or, in your case, a 19-year-old um, would lead to uh, harmful effects. So um, learning that it was beneficial for people who are in a terminal phase of their illness, that's one thing, and, and, and seeing your son take it, that's, that's a completely different thing. Um, so yeah, that was one. And what was interesting is that you wanted me to participate. No, I didn't. You so wanted at to first participate. You asked. You, you asked. Ah, will, okay. You, will we? You do this together? And that was a difficult question. I remember, yeah. Because it also is is it's it's an illegal substance, and I never did any drugs, any illegal substances. So this was a big ask, and. And at the end, when I said, okay, uh, better be part of it than not be part of it, I told you, okay, let's do it. And then you said, no. You said, well, because you're not doing it for the right reasons, you told me. It's true, but it's really true. And this is really true for anyone that wants to do these types of things or thinks about doing these types of things is that if, when you don't want it fully with your own heart, um, the outcome can be much worse. I knew that about uh, the literature. So if you just did mm. it for me just to be there, I knew that there was a bigger potential for you to have a bad experience. So that's why I said no. Mm. That was the reasoning behind it. Yeah. So then it came to the alternative, which was to just support you in your choice. Um, not making the choice ourselves, of course, but but you making that choice and, 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 and just be there for you and... Uh, try to get you in as pure a state and as a peaceful a state to that place. And I even brought you there by car. We had someone on the phone who said, no, don't do that. He'll change forever. He'll never be productive anymore. Yeah, he said he had an accountant or something that started to do programmer. mushrooms. Yeah, yeah programmer. programmer. <laughs> and that he was ruined forever. <laughs> Worst programmer in the world. But we might add that the, the study of Maastricht where we wanted to participate that I wanted to do maybe, or that you thought was most responsible to do. They declined me based on my age. Um, so I had to find another place. You remember? Yeah. And then you went to this illegal joint that the, uh, that you had to pay money into an Eastern European bank account. Yeah. <laughs> and half was cash, <laughs> but I must say, um, the Maastricht one also did not contain all the elements that a usual ayahuasca contains. Mm. So that's why I thought it was kind of like, what, how can you study something when you don't even really use the real substance? Because yeah. it didn't contain DMT, which is known to be the most important uh, component, or at least it's the component that is spoken about the most. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you drove me there. And uh, before we drove you there, uh, your mom and I, the, the three of us, uh, you allowed us, which I thought was very special, to to sit with you in prayer and and have a very good start. You remember? Yeah, I do. I do. And I was very uh, averse to my Christianity at the time, so it was a uh, it was a lot to ask. Yeah. And um, but yeah, yeah. It was a little miracle for us, so that was a good sign in a way. And then we brought you there, and I had to leave you there in that place. Um, and then you were supposed to sleep over there, and then the next day we would come and collect you. Uh, but you called us in the afternoon and said, I think I'm done here. Please come and get me. Yeah, it was at night because I came out at like, uh, at like 8. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the experience itself weirdly takes about in my case i was one of the longest people in there i was in there for the longest like six hours or five hours or something so i called you at night or sent you a text or something to come yeah. get me because i didn't feel safe anymore there um i will link the video in which i speak about the experience but coming down from it i did not feel safe at all and so for me 
being in that place still where there was so much anxiety associated with it, I wanted to get out as soon as possible. And what made it unsafe? What made it unsafe? I'm not sure. I mean, for starters, it's a bunch of strangers you're with. Mm -hmm. So that's already a big adjustment. And second was really for me coming down from the experience that I did un didn't understand reality anymore. So I needed to have something to hold on to that was familiar and real. Um, because coming out of the experience, I couldn't speak in Dutch or in English. I wasn't able to speak at all. It was just gibberish coming out. And I grabbed onto an apple and I squeezed the apple to see if it was real. And I didn't understand it because the experience I had before that, um, I experienced something that I experienced as realer than space time. Mm -hmm. And coming down from that was, even though this experience itself was complete bliss and the, the most beautiful thing I'd ever experienced in my life, coming down from it was one of the most scary experiences of my life. And so I was in a, um, in a bit of an anxious state of mind and happy yeah. to have gotten out of it. And I was like, oh, now I really want to go home. You know, when you, when you do something scary or when you get lost on the road, you feel the same way. Like you just want to go home, just want to feel safe. Um, and after that, I also knew that I would never want to do it again because of this, this anxiety. I was like, I've, I've seen it. <laughs> it's good. It's good now. So yeah, yeah I it, was, it was, it was a very strange for us to get you message or call i don't know anymore and so your mom and i we jumped in the car and uh it's a it's about 90 minutes drive i guess 70 minutes drive something like that to 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 the place where you were yeah so we were anxious to to to, to meet you and then you came into the car because you were in the outside we didn't enter the building or what 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 have you i think you were outside waiting for us and then you kept talking yeah. About everything that you had experienced. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you found some connections, I think, with stories in the Bible where I would speak about what I experienced and you were like, oh yeah, that's like this. And that's like that. Um, and I just had all these little insights where I was like, wow, I finally understand how limited language is. And I finally see how... <laughs> how this universe pales in comparison to the entirety of, 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 of existence. Um, yeah. and so I started to kind of realize that, that my worldview was collapsing and you were already providing me with examples from the Bible that, that I think show that the ancients were kind of aware of this as well with different languages. Oh, yeah, and especially from the Gospel of Philip, which is, as you know, a Gnostic Christian gospel. So it's, uh, it's, it's a heretical gospel. It's not mainstream Christianity. It actually says mainstream Christianity is not evolved enough, and they, they would be. And, um, but they had a very strong mystical basis of what they had experienced. So they were able to, to put that in writing. And things like um, that it's impossible, the language, to describe what you experienced um that's that's in there um and you came with um you came with all kinds of stories about uh, the beings that you encountered the many beings the loving beings etc um the worthless wordless so i should say <laughs> the wordless communication that you experienced like knowing everything without even speaking it and being known completely that those kinds of words you remember that yeah definitely and um well anyway uh so you slept on it and i think it was one or two days later that i said i would like you to read a little bit from the gospel of philip yep and we did and well, I, first uh, you did on your own and you were sitting at this table that i'm sitting yeah i remember it vividly you were reading it and then you started to cry yeah you said, this is what I experienced. Yeah. It was, a, it was a beautiful experience. Yeah. And I carry it with me to this day. Yeah. And I found that this is not the only place where I could experience such a feeling of familiarity in a text that speaks of something beyond space and time. And so... 
to fast forward a bit after this, I found all sorts of truths in, in all different texts. But I had you with the expertise on the text to, to show me exactly how this one works so that I could really find the connections where that's for me is harder with like an Eastern religious text where I don't have all the background information. So this was. Um, and if I had not done my dissertation on it, yeah. I would not have been able to do this because it's a rather difficult text to to read at first sight. Um, it's sort of like a condensed text where all kinds of short statements are seemingly unconnected uh, as a whole. Um, and then the uh, the text itself, if you once you see the structure, it's you can start to understand it. But before you see the structure, people thought that it was an incoherent collection of of uh, little notes jotted down by someone interested in these things. So people saw it as a collection, incoherent, if I may uh, say. Yeah. And, and when you go through it, you see it's exactly the experience that you had as well. And, and that makes it fascinating. And I think that that also makes it a cool topic to spend time on because the the mainstream consensus was completely the opposite from your view. Yeah. And I think you did a good job of providing evidence for the opposite. So that's what we're going to be uh, looking at today. Yeah, because after this first introduction that you had, um, I think in that summer, we read the entire document, which yeah. in, my, uh, in, 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 in my reconstruction consists of 12 separate discourses. So uh, I think we we used 12 or perhaps even longer sessions to, to go through the text. Um, we can't do that, of course, now here on the uh, on, on the video, but it's it's still worthwhile, I guess, to get a to get a view of what it's doing. And, and some of the things that are really cool about this text is um, this 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 experience of you that it can also be dangerous to go in there in that mystical experience. That is crucial to this text. They actually want to prepare people that when they go into this mystical experience, that they go on until they find the uh, uh, the, the the loving core of the text, the father within, and rather than stay with with a sort of um, uh, demon type environment, which they call the middle, and uh, which is actually dangerous, where you can die. So they compare the, the current world, if you are not aware of any spirituality, then basically they would call you dead. You're dead. You're, you're a Gentile. You're dead. Mm. But then when you make the first step and you, you come to life, then you are aware of a spiritual um, realm, spiritual realm that you enter, but you are at the risk of dying. And only if you move beyond that you enter say the area of bliss or the rest as they call it the other the other aeon um, you think that this is uh similar to the three worlds that wolfgang smith speaks about which i know you're not familiar with so i'll quickly lay it out you have space time this is your realm you're in right now you have time only which is the mm -hmm. dream state but it's also the intermediary realm that a lot of people seem to enter into with psychedelics so more of a spiritual realm, but also there's a lot of intermediary beings. So yeah. we call it intermediary psychic. And then you have the highest realm, which is what Wolfgang calls the AV eternal. And there is no space and time here. And this yeah. is where everything originates from. Yeah. And I'm hesitant to say, hey, this is what I experienced. Um, because I think that that's very hard to determine. But I must say that I did have an experience that seemed beyond space and definitely also beyond time. Like I said, the experience was five hours. I couldn't tell you, like it felt in a way really timeless. Like I couldn't tell you if it felt very quick or very long. It really felt beyond time. Yeah. So would you say that there's any connections there? To, um, to those the way two? that they experienced it is um, that they would guide their initiates so the ones to be initiated, they were initiated in a sort of baptismal experience, but it took a week. So they had meetings and, and, and prayer sessions and fasting and, and singing, etc. for a week until they finally went into the um, baptismal 
ceremony, which was a uh, full immersion. And it was their objective to make that a transformative experience. So uh, the idea was that you would have this positive experience, like you did. You had a positive experience. Um, uh, so that 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 would be a successful initiation. An unsuccessful in initiation would lead to dread and horror. Yeah, you may remember this from your own studies, being an Egyptologist uh, uh, in the making, in the making, <laughs> that you um, that you know that the Egyptians were afraid that the and the soul on its um, on its um, journey to the eternal uh, would encounter barriers or punishments or negative experiences. Yeah, there were a lot of spells that you had to know of before you entered death, for example. Um, and there were a lot of demons to to overcome and stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I do recognize it. And to, to bring you to another story, there's another story that's the Gospel of Mary. We it's, it's unfortunately not complete. But what we gather from it is that Mary has an encounter with the risen Lord, uh, like Mary of Magdalene had in the garden. And um, they talk about what is going on in that realm. And in that realm, they, they see different kinds of negative forces. Uh, negative forces that you could compare to the Greek gods, like anger or strife or passion, etc. Things that hold, that bind the soul, if, if you if you like. They, they take over the soul. They 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 come in. They become in command. I think Peugeot has a lot of uh, descriptions of what these kinds of demons or angels can be. And he says that it's important to understand them as this. Well, as, as angels and demons, because if you don't, so right now we speak of anger in such an analytical way that we don't realize the agency anger can hold over us or lust, for example. And I think that what the ancients understood is that by conceptualizing these forces as forces with agency, they also realized that you had to have some armor against that. And nowadays we seem to be very superficial in our understanding of it. And we, we really laugh at the, these terms, demons and angels. But if you say compare them to, or if you map them onto anger, they're actually very understandable. So I think that's a very good uh, good thing to introduce. Yeah. And another one that I would like to enter is the uh, the three dimensions of transformation. Um, there is a dimension that you see in the Hebrew Bible, which is we come out of Egypt, we pass through the desert, and go into the Promised Land. You remember that scheme yep. from Exodus. So you're coming from slavery. You're learning to be um, free in the desert, but it's still the desert. And then you enter the promised land. And the promised land, in the end, is the area of rest. And that's also the area that the letter of the Hebrews talks about in the New Testament, but also the, uh, the end result of what the Gospel of Philip is talking about. So the whole idea is to come from slavery, to go through the desert period, become responsible, and then enter rest enter timelessness if you go back to your Schmidt yeah. example. And I will say also quickly in connection to this, in preparation for the ayahuasca experience, what you do is, well, first of all, you have to live a very disciplined life before you start it. Could be akin to, to slavery or maybe the slavery would be more akin to living the life where you're yes. under the influence of lust, anger, all these things. So you try to purge that out and that's where I think the desert comes in because anyone that ever does ayahuasca knows that you have to purge something. So some people, yeah. they have to throw up. Others have diarrhea. I was very lucky. I had a, I had probably 30 yawns in a row. It was crazy. I'd never experienced something like that. I was just yawning for minutes straight. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I think you're purging something and you enter into chaos before you, you enter into yes. the promised land so i saw and a lot of these traditions ask you to to have some kind of a thesis huh? not don't eat or don't have sex exactly or, uh, to prepare you for the experience that is coming yeah um now that's the first dimension that's what we call the spatial dimension then you have the temporal dimension so a lot of traditions talk about we are here in the here and now 
uh, we will go through a time of tribulation and then we'll go into eternity which is heaven or what have you okay so the new world the new earth the, the new heaven etc that's a it's a temporal story christianity is very much about a temporal story and jesus came here in our midst we'll enter a time of tribulation the romans will conquer jerusalem the temple will be destroyed but don't worry in the end the messiah will come and deliver us and bring us into the father father's house where we will have that same rest so you see the same structure both in the spatial way with the promised land now going temporarily through time uh, until you're there yeah there's another one and that is the spatial one and that was very important in the roman era that they believed and i think if if you if you uh, heraclides if you if you read uh, about what he's writing it's very much about the dry soul that can actually go all the way up and become spirit become hot become warm so it's all about changes and transformation so it would say well we are here in the earthly realm that is uh, material and then you would go up beyond the lunar realm and uh, and and then if the soul transforms to to fire then it becomes a star in the highest realm so there is a sort of um, spatial connection going upwards to heaven. And we still talk about that when you talk about the Lion King, that the ancestors are these stars in heaven, or um, when you talk about your grandma looking down on you and stuff like that. So exactly. this, that, that, that's the third dimension that people are aware of. I think it also shows very quickly, it shows the way we speak is, is always in a way symbolic or metaphorical. Like we refer to up and down and that doesn't mean the soul actually spatially goes up, of course. That's just a little bit I want to put in there because it can be misinterpreted. Like we're some hippies who think that there's going to be a, um, a gasp of air out of my body that's going to go to the stars. But they, they map onto reality. So material yeah. reality is a, did they say often as above, so below? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, this is okay so continue yeah so as above what happens what changes in heaven then changes on the earth because it has a relationship between the two yeah. the fun thing of course of the gospel of philip that they are talking about a fourth dimension so we have a three-dimensional time space and say um, um uh, sphere uh, um separation of of, of, of di or dimensions of transformation and they come up with a fourth which is which is psychological but they only tell this after a while so after people have decided to go for baptism then the first speech they get talks about the inner man so rather it says rather than up the upper man and the lower man so that you have to be drawn up to the upper man in heaven he says i'd rather talk about the inner man and now we talk about your inner spiritual journey. It says, well, basically, you could see the soul as being this 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 essential core of you. At least it thinks it's 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 the essential core. She, uh, the, the psyche, is is feminine in in in, in uh, this tradition, uh, but she lives as a slave to the outward man, the body, the flesh. So she is enslaved by the outward man, and that. And that makes her outward and that makes her subject and it makes her dirty and she's in the mud and etc. But if she sort of is able to convert, that means that the soul is able to move from the outside to the inside, almost like, like uh, I'm living like this, but I, now I'm turning the other way around. I'm going inside. And then you'll find out that eternity is inside you. And uh uh, immeasurability or the universe is inside you so you can move from the outside almost like changing like like going outside in and and then discover that there's a whole world inside so there's also a fourth dimension which i would say you could say is psychological or spiritual and it moves from servitude to the body to the flesh to the outward man to the to embracing and having the holy marriage with the inside man so the soul the female element in you now connects to the spiritual man and lives inwardly mm. so that has the same scheme of transformation and it is as dangerous because if the soul doesn't complete her journey then she is not saved then she is 
um, uh, at risk of dying. If, if that's the words that they use. So I quickly had to charge my laptop, but after my dad explained this, we started to go on to speaking about the Gospel of Philip itself. Please enjoy. The Gospel so, of Philip. yep. Um, and that's the weird thing, I guess, that we came back to a text that I did for my dissertation, and then it's all of a sudden became real because of your story. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I had the idea that these people had real experiences, I just didn't know how to categorize them or what to do with them. Um, but they started to make a lot more sense after listening to you. So what kind of text is it? It's a text probably um i would guess that's my guess probably from egypt i wrote a piece why it's not written in syria but rather in alexandria but that's just a guess um it was written in greek in a time that egyptian and hellenistic cultures intermingled in alexandria um it was so what's the date what's the rough I would date place it somewhere very roughly around the year 200 okay so quite early in terms of Christianity or Christian development. And is this the, the time where in Egypt they spoke um, Greek and Demotic, Coptic? Yeah, well, they, they would speak uh, Greek in Alexandria. That would be their main language. But of course, um, they would speak Egyptian language, the Egyptian language. But it's more the script that changed, I guess, at that point in time. And when we start speaking of Sahidic, when you have this big renaissance then that people start to write down stuff in egyptian and then they choose a mix of the greek alphabet plus a few extra characters for, for to express the egyptian uh language that it's coptic say so coptic and that's what we call coptic at this stage we call egyptian coptic uh and it's written in greek uh, so that's, that is that's very much have... like English is now taking over a lot of uh, cultures. If you would go into university in Germany, oh, there you are. This is the Coptic Sahidic. Very good. I can't read it. It's you not clear enough it. on the screen. No, no. it's not. I, 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 you're not clear enough on the screen. Oh, yeah. Agape. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a bit different from Greek. Yeah. It's the Greek so... alphabet plus like four or five characters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so the whole thing is they found a uh, set of codices or books um, somewhere in Egypt, Naghamadi, and they uh, and they found out that in these books there was a collection of earlier writings translated into Sahidic Coptic. And for instance, Codex 2, they're just numbered by the, those who studied them. Codex 2 has the Gospel of Thomas first and then the Gospel of Philip. Uh, so two very um, um, famous Gospels are in there. Um, the Gospel of Philip is not known from, well, it's known, it's mentioned, but it, the text is not known from any other source. It's our only copy. Unfortunately, there are a few holes in the, in the, in the manuscripts. So some, at some places we have to uh, figure out and, and guess what kind of text that would have been in the holes. Um, that's an exciting job in itself uh, and, and, and very satisfying because you're sort of puzzling and, and trying to figure out what kind of grammar they would use, what kind of words you would expect, and sometimes even what kind of abbreviation. One of my key discoveries was that they used a, an abbreviation in a text, a very small hole in the text where we could never make sense of. And then I thought, well, maybe they're using an abbreviation here. And that makes a lot of sense. So that's that's really cool to, uh, to do. Um, having said so, uh, the text itself is not a story. Gospel of Philip sounds like, hey, well, now we have a story like the Gospel of Mark or Gospel of Matthew. It's not. It's a collection of notes, and those could be very cryptic notes, very short, very condensed, and that's why people thought it was a very difficult document to read, because they don't seem to be very coherent, they don't seem to make a lot of sense. And in my dissertation, I found out that actually, when you look at these notes, they are structured, 
And once you find the structure, you can find their meaning. Let me explain. So for instance, if I have a structure that says something about a first topic, then something about a second topic, then a third topic, and then it repeats itself. So it goes back to the first topic, then the second, and then the third topic. Then it means that it was a, a conscious composition. And it tells you something about the topic when you take both texts and, and combine them. And I'd like to demonstrate it. I don't know if you can get it on the screen. Yeah. Uh, but we'll go to, say, the teaser, the first instruction people would get. That would be like... Um, an evening's conversation that people would prepare for their transformation, for their ceremony. And in the first conversation, which I call a pro-catechesis because I imagine it as a conversation before they get baptized, then um, you see, as you see, one and two, paragraph one and two, you see it all aligned to the left-hand side. Yeah. And then paragraph three, you see that jumping in a little bit, and then four and five. That's my translation, so I make those jumps. So you but see it repeated, yellow, right? Paragraph one. Yeah. Yeah. Can you make that yellow? Uh-huh. Good. And then make yellow paragraph six. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of discussion has gone into what does the gospel of Philip mean when it talks about Hebrews? And at first it's just teasing you. It says a Hebrew man produces Hebrews. So if a Jewish man gets a child, then that child is called a Jew as well. So that makes sense, huh? Yep. Um, such people can also be called proselytes. But that's interesting. That's not because he has a child, but because he gets someone else to adopt the Hebrew religion. So you have someone that you convert, and then you call that person a proselyte, yep. a convert. But a convert doesn't engender, doesn't produce children that are called proselytes. That's So he's just teasing you. He's giving you a, a, a cryptical message. Mm. And then he says something like, some indeed, as they come into being, produce others, um, they, are, they are generative. They have children. Others only come into being, and that's it. And then he makes a jump. Because he's now teasing you, Jess. And he says, the slave seeks only to be free, and he does not seek the domain of his Lord. So the slave can only become free. It does not produce new lords. The son, however, is not only son to the country. He claims the estate, the inheritance, the status of his father. And he becomes the father, and he will have a son of his own, etc. So slave can only become free. But whoever becomes son will also become the father. So he's talking about transformations here, and he's making a distinction between two groups. That's what you get from that first and second verse. Now, why is this interesting um, to compare with verse 6? If you look at verse 6, you will see that he begins about talking about Hebrews again. You see that? Yeah. In the days that we were Hebrews, we were orphans. We only had a mother. But when we became Christians, we received father and mother. Mm. Having only a mother meant that you would never inherit the name of the father. You would never inherit the estate of the father. You would never take the role of your father, be, become lord of the castle, if I may use a medieval term yeah. here. So you would be like a slave. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the same thing, but he's just teasing people now. They, they can't understand everything. And let's say, but the, you, you do see that six is telling you more about number one. Yeah. So the person speaking, are we understanding him to be sort of a leader of a group that is trying to get initiated? Yep. Okay. Is it? Would you say it's Philip himself, or is Philip just? No, no the... it's two hundred years later. So okay, no. so he's the one delivering. So the one who is delivering here is not Philip the Apostle. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good. Now, what we will find out later on is that Hebrews is a code word for Christians who never get transformed, who stick into the normal church go to the Sunday meetings, worship, etc., but never get to know the real father. Yep. So there are like 
what many people would critique as a, they're culturally Christian, but they don't experience experience any transformation in their hearts. Mm. And he is saying, well, you can become a Christian because when you receive your father and mother, you will become a Christian, not just a Christian, you will become the father. Now, he's making the same comparison between three and seven. Let's start with three. And then he says, those who inherit from the dead ones, they are two. They too are dead and they are heirs from the dead. They inherit the death of this world. The world is dead. So if you are dead, you will remain dead and all you will inherit is death. Inherit is death. Those who inherit from the living one, see that there's now just one rather than ones. Yeah. They are alive and they inherit from the living one. But they also get all the stuff that the dead ones have. So, in other words, you are the um, the heir to everything, to the whole cosmos. Not just the stuff of the highest father, but mm -hmm. the whole cosmos. So, 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 all the stuff of the highest father, I should say. Whereas people who are dead will remain heirs only to death. Those who are dead are heirs of no one. The, that That's what they mean to say that it's not a real inheritance. For how shall one who is uh, dead inherit? If the dead one inherits from the living one, then he shall not die. He will come alive. So you should not inherit from a dead parent, the parent who is death itself. You should inherit from someone completely different, someone who is alive and living. And then you come to life. So we're talking about alive in the sense that you have a, a spiritual connection let's say spiritual awakening and yeah. so if you're born from let's say a dead person mm -hmm. are you still able to to inherit from a living one yeah okay yeah so the whole idea is that you go and have this baptism and then you'll be alive yeah so the whole idea is to get people to get spiritual transformation mm -hmm. and then they repeat that same thing but in a different way so now they're no longer talking about inherit but about harvesting so in paragraph seven, you see that those who sow in the winter normally harvest in the summer. The winter is the cosmos. That's this world, including the spatial area that we talked about that we call the middle. Yeah. Huh? Say the two lower layers of Schmidt. Yeah. Uh, the summer is the other A-N. So let us sow in the cosmos that we shall harvest in summer. So what we do in this world will reap benefits in the other Aeon, in the mm -hmm. other world, mm -hmm. which will be summer. It doesn't matter to pray for stuff in the winter. If you want to receive stuff here in this world, so like, oh, Lord, I'm praying for a new job or I'm praying for a nice car, etc. Um you will only get stuff that is already dead. Like remember inheritance from the dead people? Yeah. That's that stuff getting from that that you get from dead people. Mm -hmm. If you pray for that kind of stuff, you will get nothing but death. Mm -hmm. Out of the winter, the summer comes. But if you already start harvesting in the winter, harvesting in this world, you will pluck out the seeds that could become fruitful in the other Aeon. So, so you will not get any yeah. fruit. So you're wasting your reward on the, the material yes. realm and then you won't get rewarded in the spiritual realm. So that's exactly. maybe very characteristic of our society where we see having made it, being successful as someone that has a lot of money or, you know, the usual. Yeah, I'm not necessarily 100% okay with this. I think it's important that we help people in this world. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, this but, is the, the side note. This is a Gnostic text. Yes. In our first conversation, we discussed the Gnostics. And of course, we don't, I mean, we're not Gnostics ourselves. And very briefly stated, the Gnostics did not appreciate this cosmos very much. So the the life we live every day, they, they saw it as somehow inferior. And so we do not share this view. But this is the, this is reflected in the, th in the text, let's say. Yeah, and we want okay. to understand the text and, and, and put it forward as good as possible. It doesn't mean that they say everything in this world is bad, but it should 
bear fruit in the next world. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And I think that that in itself is is is, is nice enough. Um, and we could agree with that. Mm-hmm. And then it ends the first triplet with something that explains us a little bit more about our opening statement. So you can give it a next color, perhaps, yeah, green. A Gentile man. Now, remember, we started with, with Hebrews. And then in verse 6, we learned about Hebrews and Christians. And now he adds a third category, which is a Gentile man. We'll stick with four for a while. A Gentile man does not die because he never came alive so that he could die. He was in the world of the dead. He inherited from the dead. He remains dead. So he cannot die. That which is dead cannot die because it doesn't live. Yep. Yeah. The one who believed, and now this is the scary bit, the one who believed the truth came alive. And this one rus- runs the risk to die because he lives since the day that Christ came. So Christ came, brought people to life, but are they getting there? Mm. That's that's the big worry now. You see that? Yeah. And then he ends with created is the cosmos, cosmeticized the cities. Of course, the cosmeticization is something that you also do on corpses, by the way, and carried out the one who's dead. Uh, it is taken out of the city. That's a parable. But the thing, the key word here is since the day that Christ came. And that's when he but he connects to the final part of the second triplet. Look at nine, yes. Christ. Well. Yeah, you can do nine and ten and we'll go quickly. So Christ came. And Christ came for some indeed to buy them, for others to save them, others to ransom them. He made people his own. He set them apart and he wants to, to, to uh, save them and transform them. But in this world, he says, uh, good and bad, that's paragraph 10, light and darkness, life and death. It's just, these are just two sides of the same coin. You can try to get to choose life over darkness or life over death or the right side over the left side. But this is just brothers of each other. You cannot separate it. Everything in this world has a good side and a bad side. Um, This is not what's the real thing. So if you make the sign of the cross, the, the left-hand side and the right-hand side are not what counts. What counts is the above. So, uh, therefore, he says, neither are the good ones good or the evil ones evil. Neither is life alive or death dead, because all of this will dissolve. Everything below the, the higher realm will end. So we can talk about what's moral, what's just, or who's right or who's wrong. Uh, but as long as you stay in this cosmos... You will die with this cosmos because this cosmos is finite. It will end. And everything will dissolve into its first principle. But those above the cosmos and the other aeon are indissoluble. They are eternal. So that's your third category that Schmidt was talking about. Now, this is just a teaser. It's not easy to understand, but you get... When you when you talk about the group having their first talk here and, and thinking this through, they get a two feelings. One of the feelings, yes, I want to transform. I want that. And B, it's scary if you don't make the full transformation. That's basically the message. You agree? Yep. Good. And then we get to the second evening. So the group now goes home. Um, maybe they have uh, fasted, maybe, maybe taken some meals, but they come together again and have their second meeting. And at one point in the evening, the the speaker starts again. And now he needs to make something clear. He needs to make clear that the normal church is not good enough, that they need this Gnostic transformation. And it's in this Gnostic transformation, knowing God, knowing who he really is, that he wants to liberate them from the false religion that normal Christianity would be in his eyes. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And now it gets closer to to, um, language. Here we are. The names which are given in the cosmos to the cosmic ones contain a great error. For they divert their hearts from those who are able. Able. 
are stable, sorry, to those who are unstable. Now, those are Greek terms. The things that are stable are eternal. The things that are unstable are from this cosmos. So like the Plato, the Platonic forms. Absolutely. The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the one who hears the word God does not think of the real God, the, the one who is stable, but he thinks of the of the one who is unstable, a lower God. Yeah. Likewise, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You think of, say, a man in the sky with a beard. Mm -hmm. uh, you think of his bodily son. You think of a Holy Spirit, uh, some winged creature that comes down to you. The life, the light, the resurrection, the church, and all the others, they don't think of the ones who are stable, who are in the other aeon, but they think of the unstable ones. So he basically says everybody who's talking about God doesn't know shit. They, they, they talk about religion, but they have never met God for who he really is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um, unless they have learned about the ones who are stable. The names that are he heard in the cosmos, let no one be misled. If they were in the Aeon, they would not be mentioned in the cosmos at any time, nor have been said among the cosmic things. They have an end in the Aeon. So when the Aeon is the place to be, either in future or as another place or what have you. So when you're in the transformation, you will find out, oh, everything we said about God no longer holds. And I think that was something of the of the, the experience that you had when you go, got into that. You said, well, this is completely different in, in my, it's not what I heard in church and it's not what I heard from my nihilistic uh, cartoon network uh, stuff that I watched. No, exactly. And it goes to a, a modern dichotomy of classical theism and atheism where both seem to be speaking about some sort of being ruling the world so yeah. classical theism would say this is a vervakian argument classical theism would say um they believe in a being that rules the world so that they, they would call it god and atheism rejects that but basically what we're saying here is we're not talking about a being when we speak about god we're talking about the ground of being something completely stable immovable and that's what they're referring to as well and they're basically calling the christians of their time deluded and yes. confused misled yeah. misled yeah and and you know that um Peugeot was also talking about with Faveki about that these powers then have agency they are something yeah that's exactly what they think they think that these these powers have agency they intend to enslave men. Yep. So they would say normal religion, be it Greek religion, Egyptian religion, or Christian religion, or Hebrew or Jewish religion, intends to mislead men. So we'll go to paragraph 13, and you'll see that um, he's continuing the talk that we saw in paragraph 11. The rulers, that's the rulers of the cosmos, the cosmic rulers, wished to mislead man since they saw that man has a kinship with those who are truly God, good. So they saw that Adam, uh, like in Adam and Eve, could speak language, something divine, that he could name the beasts, etc. So they said, what's going on? This is not a normal animal. This, is, this, this has some kinship with what is truly good. So they took the names of those who are good, and then they applied those names to lower cosmic entities so that we would think of a god like a bearded man in the sky that would give you gifts in this world in the winter rather than the one who would help you transform out of this cosmos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that through the names, they will mislead the people and bind the people to those who are not good. The, the, themselves, the cosmic rulers. And after that, as if they did them a favor... They remove them from not good to good to uh, not Christian to Christian, Gentile to Christian. Wow, that's a big favor. Yeah. We're still worshiping the same cosmic rulers. They wish to take the free one, that's Adam, and make him their slave forever. There are powers. They indeed give food to man, is what they're saying. So you can have, you can have benefits from your religion, but these powers do not wish you to be saved. They want to be filled. They want to enslave you so that they are getting sacrifices from you for if man is saved there are no longer sacrifices to the powers and animals were offered up to the powers 
that this is all the sacrificial um, worship that you see in Greek antiquity, in Egypt, and in, in, in Judaism, uh, for animals were the ones who offered sacrifices. So there's a play on words here. They, they sacrifice animals because they're animals themselves. They yeah. have not yet become fully human. Yeah. And if people find this odd, this is not a crazy thing. Um, we still do this in everyday life. I think there are some very interesting ideas about what sacrifice actually is. And basically the, the Christian solution to sacrifice, because all religions before Christianity and still now today, well, not all of them now, but back in the day, a lot of them would have animal sacrifice and it was a way to bind a group together. So you sacrifice something and the same holds true for a family. You have a black sheep and by piling up on that black sheep, you bind the group together, but it's, it's inferior compared to the Christian answer, which would be you sacrifice yourself um, for the good of the group. And that's how you hold the group together. And so by sacrificing external things, animals or even humans, which definitely did happen, you are completely uh, praising the lower gods. Yes. And we still do this in many ways. <laughs> There's a, there are a lot of, of modern day examples of doing this. Think about the scapegoat. Think about blaming everything on one person, be it a, a politician or some billionaire or something. We do this all the time in our families, in our groups, in sports teams. This is a, this is almost a human universal. And to get a solution to that is very, um, is very special. So I just wanted to throw that in there because I think some of these things can sound very confusing and it definitely would have been so for me had I not uh, done some background information, background work, but um, this is reality uh, <laughs> and uh, it's very messy. <laughs> Same with well, the lower gods, huh? like money, for example, and, and yeah. lust. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Or, or or any form of worship of a god who has become an idol. Yeah. Because you want to pray to that god in order to provide you with material goods. Yeah. Basically, you're sacrificing to that god in order to reserve. The Romans would say, do ut des, I give, in order that the god would give, in order that you would give. Um, or, and the other example that you named, the, the scapegoating, yeah, Paul Ricoeur talks about it and he says, well, since Christ, we're no longer able to do that without getting into trouble with our conscience. Yeah. Scapegoating is no longer possible because something changed. And that's something that is also mentioned here, because if you read on, it first says um, uh, animals were offered to the powers because animals were offering, uh, well, humans had not become fully human. Indeed. They offered up the animals alive, but when they offered them up, they died. And it, you would say, yeah, of course, the animals died. No, no, no. The ones who sacrifices dies yeah. because he puts himself in a relation of servitude servitude to those lower powers. Exactly. Exactly. And, and those lower powers are dependent on these sacrifices. Yes. Whereas the, the God that, that is conceptualized here, the stable one, let's say, that was spoken of, doesn't matter he'll be there you know he doesn't need to be kept alive that that's a spirit that is not going to be moving and so that, that's what makes the, the one god distinct from all the lower gods yeah yeah so that's the, how that concludes so you're very much correct on that one as for man and that's man with a capital now as for jesus or as for the initiate who was now to be transformed he was offered up dead to god you start off as being dead you're a Gentile, you're a slave, you're dead. You're in this world, you're dead. But I give myself up to God so that he can fill me with life. And he came became, He came alive. So the big difference is the ones who are offering animals think they are alive. They are offering stuff, but they are dying in the process. The ones who see themselves as being already dead, when they go to the highest God, they become alive. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so excellent. now you have a, a, a good idea of what's going on. Um, the rulers, that was paragraph 11, use the words from the highest God, but they use it in an inferior way. That's, that's how they experienced religion. This was an oppressive 
in their minds, religion has become oppressive because religion bounds you, binds you to the uh, to the cosmos, to yeah. servitude in the cosmos. Yeah. Now there are two solutions for it. So you get paragraph twelve and paragraph uh, uh, fifteen. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. So there's two ways of doing that. One is to be clothed with a different clothing. So you are different because you have different clothing. And one is to be differently fed. So one on the outside, one on the inside. Yeah. One name is not proclaimed in the cosmos, paragraph 12 says. Uh, the name that the father gave to the son. It is above everyone as it is the name of the father. So Jesus carries the name of the Father. It's the secret name. It's the, it's the divine name of God that no one can pronounce. For the Son would not become Father unless he clothes himself with the name of the Father. So normally when the Son grows up, he takes the position of the Father. He becomes head of the household. And he is known by the name of the Father. So when Julius Caesar died, he bequeathed his fortune to Augustus, who became then Caesar. Yeah. Everybody started to use Caesar almost as a title. And mm -hmm. of course, you know, the Romans didn't pronounce it as Caesar, but as Kaiser, mm -hmm. which is the German Kaiser. Uh, so it's, it's the emperor. Mm -hmm. So it became a functional name. And that's how it is also. If the son doesn't, doesn't clothe himself with the name of the father, he doesn't become the father. Yeah. This name, those who have it indeed think of it, but they do not pronounce it like the, the Hebrew divine name and those who do not have it do not even think of it so you are unaware this is a reality you didn't even know existed and the other solution is to eat heavenly food so in paragraph 15 it says before christ had come there was no bread in the cosmos as in paradise the place where adam was it had many trees to feed the animals but there was no grain to feed man Man ate like the animals, but when Christ came, the perfect man, he brought bread from the heavens. That's part of the Gospel of John. So that man would be fed with the food of man. The rulers thought that according to their power and their wish, they did what they did. So they killed Jesus. But the Holy Spirit secretly worked everything through them as he wished. So in other words, um, the, the, the rulers of the cosmos tried to break down Jesus. Um, but he gave himself as food mm. to his believers. So now you see something of clothing. Now the initiant, the baptismal candidate, will go through the water and receive new clothes. So yeah. he will clothe with the name of the Father. But he will also receive the Eucharist, bread and wine. And that's how the, the how what the solution is to to be to escape the servitude to the cosmic rulers. And, and sacrifice get, itself, yeah. right? Yes, yep. to sacrifice himself in that, because going down in the water is dying. Yes. Coming exactly. out of the water is embracing life. Exactly. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now we get to perhaps, I think, one of the most beautiful sentences in um, the Gospel of Philip. Because now we've learned that there are names in the cosmos that refer to the higher ones. It's just that we don't understand them. Huh? Yeah. We, we, we think of lower gods instead of the highest god. Um, but truth brought forth names in the cosmos because of us who are not able to learn about her without the names. Yeah. So you want to enter into a relationship with truth. You want to do philosophy. You want to talk about truth. But you can say nothing because everything you're saying is from this world and this cosmos. Yeah, languages itself. That's one of my major insights that I had in my experience. It was like language itself is an image. It's not stable. It changes. It changes yes. all the time. So the, the words you use is referring to something stable, but at some point it's images to images to images and <laughs> it can't be capital T truth. No. And now, but now all of a sudden this, this teacher who knows this, who, yeah. who already told us this now turns around and said, but you don't have anything else. Exactly. Language but is the only thing you have. But language can refer beyond itself through yes. through mystical text, through poetry, through yeah. music. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you can't 
approach the Bible as a science book because the science book is exact. The science book is referring to things within the cosmos. If you want to refer beyond it, you're going to speak in ways that you cannot understand literally or materially. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful because it goes back to this platonic ideal. A single one is truth. Yeah. And you can't change anything about what, what is one because either even thinking requires discursive reasoning in your mind. Huh? You, mm -hmm. you cannot just view the, uh, the one thing. Yes. A truth is this one thing. Yeah. She is also manifold because of us, because we are in this cosmos. Truth expresses itself or herself in so many different ways. That's because of us who learn about this one thing lovingly through many. Yeah. And I think that's an awesome idea. Of, through many. Yeah. It's, it's the many things that you see in this creation that leads you to the one thing. Yeah. It's beautiful. And it's meant to be like that. Yeah. But you have to understand that the many things are not the one thing. Yeah, exactly. And so that is in terms of language, but it's also in terms of where you find it. So he ends this second part, and I, I think uh, that's a beautiful way of expressing it. Truth is sown in every place. Yeah. She who is from the first, like like the like when Jesus talks about the sower, he talks about the logos that is being sown everywhere. Yeah. Truth likewise is being sown everywhere. And many see her being sown, but few are there who see her being reaped. Okay, that's beautiful. The The Zoom is going to end in two seconds. So, And I think this is a good place to end for now, uh, Lucas. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you for today. Okay. We'll continue it. Okay. Good. That was now.